Okay. I am on. You can hear me now. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians. This is uh, part four of this message. Uh, Ephesians chapter three. Jesus, praise you, God. Lord, thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless you, Heavenly Father. Bless you, Heavenly Father. What a great God you are. What an amazing sustainer you are. What an amazing life giver you are. What an amazing God we serve. Lord, we're so unworthy, but you are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and his power to work among us in ways, Lord, that meet every single need in this church, that meets every need outside of this church. Oh, Lord, open our eyes to the beauty and the wonder of who you are. Lord, again, I just want to pray that you would fulfill the reality of your promises and open our eyes to the magnitude of the things that are written in the Scripture for us. Because, God, you have given us so much that even out of the riches of Jesus Christ, we've partaken of so little, but we have so much available. And God, this morning, you want to enlarge our hearts. Jesus, I believe you want to strengthen the desire of every person in this place to love you more, to cleave to you more, to live closer and nearer to you, today, tomorrow, and every day after that. And so, Jesus, I believe what happens here is just a springboard for the more of what you're wanting to do in our individual lives and corporately throughout the week. And so, God, I just pray that you will touch us. Thank you for our time this morning as we worship you. And, Lord, as, as we open our hearts to worship you with everything within us, you meet us as we give ourselves to You. The Lord, the more we give of ourselves, the more we receive. And so truly, Lord, You're doing that. And I thank You, Jesus. Thank You for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And thank You for the way that He speaks. And I just pray You'll minister Your Word to our hearts. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Lord, we want a Word from heaven. We want to hear from you this morning, Jesus. We want everything that you want us to receive to be given now. And thank you, Lord, for open hearts. Thank you for receptive hearts. Those that just don't want to hear the word, but want to do the word to the physical capabilities that you've given us. Lord, and within those limitations to ask you, Lord, to do for greater miracles 
to give us more freedom to serve you in better ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise you, Lord. So in Ephesians chapter 3, just going over some of our, our sermon from last week, we had talked about um, our calling. The Ephesians chapter 3 just begins with, and Paul's speaking specifically of his calling, but I, I, I'm re- realizing that all of us have to realize that we are a part of that call. So when we read his letter, it's almost like reading our letter, something that God wants us to reflect on for our own personal lives. And so within that calling, we see numerous things. And three main things that I highlighted in that sermon last Sunday, that we need the grace of God. The grace of God is everything. It gives us everything we need to carry on the ministry of Christ, to be His present day disciples. So if we think of it, you are no less important to the work of God than were the twelve disciples that walked with Jesus. You are one of those 12. But in order for that to be realized for us personally, we need a daily continual provision of that grace for us to know that. And then one of the other things that I had shared with you guys was revelation. That part of the grace of God is to give us a revelation for us personally. Because the truth is, every single one of us will limit ourselves and tell God what we can't do. Moses was a great description of that. He told the Lord, I'm slow of speech. I can't speak. And God says to him, I have made your mouth. And I think that's a way of God saying, I have the provisions that you don't have. And I need to reveal that to you. And you need to be able to receive that. So God gives us grace to be able to receive it. But we have to have a revelation. And I don't believe any of us walk anywhere near God without a revelation. And we need a continual flow of that within our life. And so we were sharing that and how that also, where Paul talked about the hidden wisdom, there's hidden knowledge that's only revealed in God. So it's not just book learning or gathering from what the Bible says and just learning it from the natural capacity or the limitations of our own mind, but it's the way the Lord reveals it to you. And without that, this scripture cannot be lively to us. So, I want to go to the next few verses in Ephesians chapter 3 and cover where we had not. And I want to talk about here, it's kind of like it's split between two. We're talking about the provision of the calling in the first part of Ephesians. And these portions are talking about what I believe is the purpose of this calling. The purpose of the calling. Um, Let's go to... Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I mean, sorry, verse 6. Verse 6. Ephesians 3. And has raised us up. Let me actually start at verse 1. It will continue to give context to the rest of what I'm sharing. And you, he is quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, I'm sorry, that's chapter 2. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation 
he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now verse 6. And the Gentiles, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So I believe highlighted in verse 6, the first purpose, not necessarily the most important, it's not the only purpose, but it is the, a purpose of our calling is to reach the lost. To reach those who do not know Jesus Christ, who have no personal salvation for themselves, just to put it in plain words, that one day they are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and to give an account of themselves for the life that they live. And they, without salvation, are going to go to hell. Now, I don't know how many of us believe that. I've had, I've had numerous brothers, I've had numerous sisters share with me, even though they believe, they say they believe the, the whole entirety of the Bible, that they believe that there is a hell and that people are going to actually go there. There's something that's a dynamic and a struggle to believe in that. And universally, I think that we want to preach the gospel without even mentioning it. And I think that the reality is when you get the revelation that you are a sinner, it's more than just a sinner. You, are, you have the revelation that you're a sinner that deserves the judgment and wrath of a holy God. And that's what savingly brings you to Jesus Christ. If you do not know that, if you have not had a revelation of that, you can hardly call Jesus Christ a Savior because you hardly know what He saved you from. And most of us are looking for God to save us from the harsh and difficult circumstances of this life, and that's not what Jesus Christ primarily came to do. He came to make you right and fit to be in the Father's presence for eternity. And this is the beginning of those that work is what God does in our life right now. And right now, I think it's so important, so necessary that every one of us, I don't know what the degree of burden we have for the lost is, or how many people out there without the knowledge of Christ and how precious your salvation is to you personally. But I think that we need, if there's anything right now we need, we need a baptism of a burden for the lost. Just ask yourself this question. If your hope of salvation were removed from you and all you knew is you were headed toward judgment, the final day when you were going to stand before God and give an account of your life with absolutely no hope, no hope of being declared right with God, how would that feel? Just go back to the early days before your life belonged to God. And think about the anguish and the struggle and the conviction of sin that brought you to the Savior. And imagine never having experienced that. 
never knowing the restorative work of the Lord in your life, knowing what He's done for your family, knowing what He's done for your loved ones, knowing what you want to see done in your loved ones, and realizing that if that weren't there, if Jesus Christ weren't crucified to me, and if I didn't know that, what hope would I go forward with even for those of my family that I want to see their lives restored? The burdens that I have for others, what do I place my hope in if I don't have that? So we have a lost world out there. A lost church in some ways. I want to read you a few things. I want to ask you this question. How do you feel about the masses who are hopelessly lost in sin? Number two, what, it, what are you doing about it? I want to read a few quotes by one, this one by General Booth. He said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. You say, I'm not called, and he said, I think you should say, you haven't heard the call. I think, uh, he said, put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners from the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the lost entreat you. Go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy through the world. There's a quote by General Booth. A second one, he said, the rescued are appallingly few and ghastly minority compared with the multitudes who struggle and sink in open-mouthed abyss. This is one of my personal favorites by Spurgeon. He said, if sinners go to hell, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees and let not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. You hear in those quotes men who felt a burden for the lost. And I think one thing that's a huge distinction that we're struggling with in church today, pastors are struggling with it. That, and I don't know if you view it, and I pray that you don't. I pray that nobody here gets the idea that the only ones are, that are called to do ministry are the ones who have the special calling to be a pastor, a, a minister of some sort, an apostle, an evangelist, and they're the ones to do the ministry, and the rest of us just live life and try and bring Jesus into that somehow. <clears throat> if the church and the believers don't feel that it's a personal responsibility, every one of us that has been called out of darkness into His marvelous light to do the work of Christ because you are His and you belong to Him, then it would, be, it would stand to reason why so few feel a burden for the lost and so few do much of anything about it. But I often say, if, if others were to pray for me like I pray for them, how would I feel about that? 
Would I be angry with the person who prays for me? Would I be angry at the person who's supposedly a Christian who, who lives with me every day, who has life with me almost all the time, and yet does nothing, says nothing, almost barely nothing to me about something that would urge my soul toward God? As if they didn't care about that part of my life. And the bigger part of the problem is, is we're trying to retain some kind of peacefulness or happiness with people, and we don't feel a personal burden for them. And I think that that also qualifies for the lack of prayer that we find for the lost. And here this is a purpose for this calling. God called me out of darkness into His marvelous light, not first and foremost so I could be a pastor, not first and foremost so I could stand up here and preach to you guys. First and foremost, Jesus Christ called me out of darkness into His marvelous light and brought me out of my sinful lifestyle so that I could be His. I could belong solely and wholly to Him. And in that happening, that means that now, Lord, there's no reserves. What is your ministry, Jesus? When you walk the face of the earth, what was your ministry? What was your love? What was your passion? And what is it still today? You're in heaven. You're in the throne above. And still, what is it that my God, it's what's important to Him. What's His heart? What's His mind? What's His love? That's my love. That's my heart. Because I am His. And He brought me out of darkness. This isn't the apostles' calling, primarily or only, when we read Ephesians chapter 3. And if we only read Ephesians chapter 3 as thinking of Paul and not of me, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, then it's, it, it, it changes the whole dynamic of the life that we now live. So here's some of the things that I've fallen into fault in, and I'm sure all of us have to some degree, but we've got to climb out of it. Working a 40-hour-a-week job. It takes up so much of our time. It takes so much of our mind and our mentality and our thoughts. And a lot of us, because we're faithful to what we do, we have a lot to do in that job. And we can't just veer off and have that mighty prayer time right in the middle of while we're working. But I think one of the things that are stealing from us, this, this idea of the job is, is we get the feeling that, and I think this is majority men. I'm just going to say I think this is majority men. Majority is that they feel like their first obligation is to make sure that they provide financially for their home. And men are doing a great job at that. I won't say that that's not true. <clears throat> and they feel like we want to do that and they have to pay the house. We have a 30-year mortgage to pay off on our home. And we put all of our emphasis and all of our time and all of our effort into that. Even to the place when our job demands us to be away from the house of God, we will be at our job. And you will ask yourself the question, are men sacrificing to another idol to serve themselves and the esteem? Have our families and our homes become too high of a priority? Not that it's not a high priority. Not that it's not an important priority. But when you think of the masses that are going into eternity, is your house and the money you make and the security of your home ultimately going to be what you want to answer for when you stand before Him who bled and died and gave Himself for you? Is that what I want to answer for and give myself up to? And then you see 
the other picture. This is the one that I love to see. I love to see those who are my brothers and sisters and those who are a part of the body of Christ having in and integrated within their busy schedules and lives and jobs and things that they do and integrated in it, you can see the passion. They have a ministry. It's either they're calling people, they're praying with people, they're inviting people to their homes, they're inviting them to the church, they're investing their life into somebody. Now, sometimes it's not multitudes. Sometimes it's one very special person that you're giving your time to. And you know, and I know, the sacrifices that you're making to be there for that person. It's the last little bit of time that you have to yourself, and you almost have no time to yourself. It's almost too busy to do anything, and yet you'll make that sacrifice. And I believe the reason you do that is because you see their soul in light of eternity. You're thinking about the harmony and the promises of God. Literally, this Bible has become so real to you. And you love what God has said that you can't stand the thought that there's so many promises that God has made that He wants to give and so many provisions that Jesus has made for their life and their living in bondage is outside of the provisions of God. Even if they're a Christian, so many of them need more of the revelation and the realization of what God has done for them and to uncover the promises of the Lord and see them fulfilled in their lives. And so you give yourself selflessly to one, two, maybe many people because you feel the call of God for the lost. And you feel the Lord tugging your heart for people that are in need of the Lord. And you can sense when you're with them, there's a lack of Christ in their life. They don't know the Lord wholly and fully. And so you're feeling the love and the pressure of that on your heart to move closer to them. And so every meal you share with them, every time you sit down and this book comes open and you share intimately the details of their life and they'll share things with you that they'll never tell anybody else. You know what I'm talking about. They'll tell things to you that they'll never tell anybody else. And that is between you and them. And you're going to spend your time with them sharing the gospel until you see life come into them. Until you see what Jesus has said would happen and it happens to them. And we slowly but surely begin to fill the seats of this church and the seats of our home and the places in our our lives and we fill that space with people. Because it's not just about making sure that they get into heaven, the love them, leave them mentality. As long as they make it into the kingdom of heaven, I'm happy. As long as they got salvation and they, they came to the altar or even at my own home and they prayed with me the sinner's prayer and they just got that that salvation, that one-time experience, that I'm done with that. Does that fulfill any of us in this place? Not at all. We want to see a fuller life in Christ. And sometimes to such a joy that what we see in their life feels like like the pride of a father to his son or the pride of a mother to her, her daughter is to see them succeed in life. But not in a job, not in making money, but to see them so close to God, it's overwhelming how joyful that is for you. So here we have a General Booth, a man of the Salvation Army, who he sent out soldiers of men who were all about salvation. I had heard stories, I think I had read a few, that in the bars and taverns, they were spit 
There were alcohol thrown on them. There were numerous things that happened to these men for the sake of souls. And they cared enough to make sure that this gospel was proclaimed. <clears throat> I'm oftentimes ashamed, just myself, thinking, it used to be that those holy men of old, they would preach every day. They were the evangelists that went to the roadsides, open-air preachers that did it every single day, and they said oh, most of their sermons were two-hour sermons, and we can't hardly get on for once a week. But this isn't them receiving the message. This is them giving the message. And at some point in our life, we have to realize that's what God called us to, to be the ones who give the message. <clears throat> because you have to ask for that family member. They haven't received Christ now. I've preached. I sat there at my sister's... I sat there in her home and wept there at the couch, broken-hearted, because I was listening to things. <clears throat> I was seeing things. I got a grasp into something while I was sitting in their home. And I was broken hearted and I began to cry. And then I went outside. And my sister followed me out there and she wanted to know what was going on. And I said, it's because I have a burden for you. Because I'm broken for you. Because you live every day of your life as if God didn't exist. And the things that are most important are the provisions for your body. But your children don't know the Lord. You don't know the Lord. Now, I didn't say all of that, but that's how I felt. <clears throat> so a provision for this purpose and this calling is to reach the lost. How concerned and how important is it to us? And I think no matter what the degree is, no matter what effort we put out there, we wish we could do more. No matter what our physical limitations and struggles are, we wish that we could do more. But I pray in the backlog of your life that you'll never look into the backlog of your life and say, I have so many regrets from all the possibilities and opportunities I had, and I refused. <clears throat> but let's take the time that we have now. Let's put more effort into what we have now. And I think one of the struggles we have now is when we think about reaching the lost, we're like, <clears throat> I don't know how to begin. If it were just to go out on the street and share, I think the best way you can begin is start at the first person that you know that you can give a phone call to. Most of us have been far behind, including me and all the people I could be making a phone call to, and I haven't. <clears throat> Make a phone call to them. Ask them how they're doing. And then... Pray for them right there on the spot. Let me pray for you. And when you're done with that call, make another one. And make another one after that until you spent a good portion of your day. And make them until your soul is full of joy of spending time ministering to the souls that you love. We went to Boise this weekend <clears throat> or this week and um, I just got to stand there with my mother-in-law, and there's, I'm not going to share any personal details, but I was able to ask her how she was doing in a, a very specific personal area of her life. But we had the opportunity there, and I was going to do some other stuff. I was going to take some time to study, and I didn't. And there we had that conversation, and there tears came down her eyes while she was talking with me. And there was like a tug on her heart for something that the Lord was just melting her down with. 
And sometimes we get matted down with some of the struggles of life and we just need that person of grace in us. We need that person of God just calling us back to something in the Bible. And when that happens, you know, no matter what you're going through at that time, it's just like a life giver. For me, it's a life giver to see somebody touched by something in the message of the gospel. And so this is somebody that's close to me. And I can call my mom, and I can call my brother, and I can call all of them. And you know, most of them, they haven't been called in weeks, months. <laughs> so I've got a good long list. I'm sure all of us do, ultimately. And sometimes we get so concerned and matted down with our own problems and struggles, we don't realize by giving the gospel, we get to receive the freedom of the gospel. So I, I made this, I wrote this statement down. It is utterly inexcusable for the Christian to do little or nothing to reach the lost. It is inconsistent with the gospel and the love of the gospel. We could talk about the love all of and all we want, but we have to have be doers of it. Number two, the second purpose that I just bring out in verses seven and nine, to make known the nature of true ministry. So chapter two. I mean, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Where if I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of His power, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all Man, see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So when we think of grace, we often just think of it in the salvation term. I got saved because God reached out to me and he revealed things to me that made me come and surrender to him. But now we're talking about the grace to, for the ministry, the ministry of the calling to go forward. The gift of grace is not for a few or the elite. Paul talks about here, he's, the less, he's less than the least of all saints. That's a powerful view to have of ourselves. As little as I am makes no difference. So basically this, all the resources of God's kingdom, everything that God intended to be able to instill in us is not based upon your worthiness or your ability or your strengths. So what we're finding more and more when it comes to the area of ministry, people are always concerned about what they don't have. But let's erase that. Let's just take some time to erase what you don't have. And take time to think about what God does have. So when Moses stood before the Lord, he said, I'm slow of speech. I don't know if that means he had a speech impediment or what it meant. I've known some that had said that they had uh, anxiety uh, attacks. And so being able to share or speak openly to other people, the anxiety attack. And then you get to hear the testimony, the Moses testimony, and you get to hear the, the testimony of the person who, despite what my weaknesses were, despite what I couldn't do, despite all of the things that I can't do, God found a way in there and he gave me things that I didn't have. And I wonder if, I, I really do, I wonder if the people who get those things from God and the, the grace is deposited into their life, 
are those who just merely make themselves willing and say, here I am, Lord. If you have a greater baptism for me, then give it to me. Lord, if you have a greater call, you want me to meet the needs of more people, then if you want me to preach the gospel and I'm slow of tongue and I have no ability to do that, then God, here I am. I don't know why you would do it and I don't know why you would take me. And I don't know why you would even use me, but if, if I'm the choice, if you want to do that, then God, here it is. You got a mess to work with. You got something that's broken. You got something that has no ability. And if you can make something happen here, then here I am. And I think God meets those people every single time. I really do. I have, I believe that whatever the, the level of your hunger is for the Lord, not for selfish things. Lord, please bless me. Please do this for me. Please give me. What about, Lord, please make me something for others? And so when we get to that place in God where the purpose of ministry, the purpose of our calling, the purpose of being called in Christ has something to do with the others and our brothers and sisters, then it makes a huge difference. And the Lord establishes that in somebody who came to See, I have to ask myself, Lord, why did you do some of this in my life? How come some of the things that are most precious, so valuable to me, how did that happen? And I just remember it was like after every every service I got before the altar. I didn't care if there was anybody else there. And then when there was no church, I was at my bedside. And I'm sure that that's exactly how you guys got what God gave to you. How the Lord ministered to you. But I've also found that while I'm in life, that I got, oh, I need to do this. Ah, I've got this chore to do, and I've got this project to work on, and all of that. And then you kind of come back to full circle again, and you're like, well, what happened to all that intimacy, and that closeness, and that experience with the Lord? What, what kind of stole away my prayer life? What took away my joy in Jesus? My projects. My mind focused on my, my job. Even ministry, I got too focused on just people and I forgot the Lord. And so what we need is a renewal of time with Jesus. We need a renewal of closeness to Him because we're going to be busy. We're going to be stretching ourselves. But we need the Lord and His provision and His Spirit with whatever we do. And the person who says, I'm too busy to pray, doesn't know the essentiality of how important it is to have God blessing your work. I mean, we had it this morning in the testimony with Will and Susie sharing that they prayed and the Lord gave. Well, what happens when you don't pray? Well, I didn't get it. It took twice as long. It took three weeks to do it instead of three, 30 minutes. The Lord's blessing makes all the difference. I've said this in prayer many times. When Jesus said three anointed words from heaven, Lazarus, come forth. More than what 3,000 sermons without it will ever do. We need that touch of God on our ministries. We need that touch of God on everything we're doing personally. Now you ask me, James, is the only thing God is concerned about is about reaching the lost? No. He's concerned about every detail of our life. So when you're working, you want the Lord's blessing behind the things that you do. Knowledge that comes out of heaven. An ability with your hands to do things. It's like, I don't know how that came together so quick, but it happened so quick. 
You want everything in your life to be God-blessed, God-distributed. And that's why we get closer to the Lord, because we realize, I think the best realization we can have from the day that we came to the altar first to give our life to God, or if we were at our home, and to the day we die, Lord, there's absolutely nothing in me that's good enough to accomplish what you want to do unless you continue to facilitate that blessing over and over and over. Lord, I need you poured into me, not daily. I need you poured into me every moment of every day. What are we missing by not just being hungry? He is not holding back the grace because He hasn't called you. You are holding it back because you are unwilling. God has more for every one of us. I like the way Leonard Ravenhill puts it. He said, there's no finality to the Christian life this side of eternity. We merely need to be We, we merely need to be bold enough to share. God will pour out as we do. Number two, the fear of doing it in our own strength has prevented many from taking the first steps of obedience, which opens the door of grace. I want to read that one more time. The fear of doing it in our own strength has prevented many from taking the first steps of obedience, which opens the door of grace. You know, maybe you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Just attempt to. I like what one man said. He said, failure is a sign that somebody cared enough to try. It's interesting because I would say that probably the majority of times where I felt like there was an appointment for God, heaven met me with somebody else. There was a ministry situation. It was not planned. It was kind of like it was accidental. And I didn't know what I was going there for, and I didn't know what I was planning on saying. But, and they didn't know what was going to happen. But it did, and it happened, and it became miraculous. And it's a story and a testimony for today and for tomorrow and any day afterwards. So also once was said, God will not do your part, and you cannot do his. And it is between these two things God does his work. You can't expect God to move and touch your neighbor while you sit on the couch. But all of our efforts oftentimes are spent in vain because we don't know how God does the other part. The Lord does so many things, but we can't wait for it to just happen. We're in the act of moving forward, and God does things behind that action. True ministry never starts by us waiting for a miracle first. It begins by discovering how God wants us to obey. And at that moment, we first act on it. So true ministry never starts by us waiting for a miracle first. It begins by discovering how God wants us to obey. And at the moment, we first act on it. The moment we do it. You know, something Jesus said to the, the man that was lame. He said, you know, Peter said, the man that was lame. He said, rise up and walk. So look on us. Stand up and walk. 
I don't know if you guys had thought about that, but for me personally, I was like, how does a, a man who's been lame for probably all his life, how does he how does he receive something like that? I can't walk. Maybe the realization of is that he's got to make the attempt to do exactly what he was told, even though everything looks like it's absolutely impossible. And he's got to make the first attempts with the little strength that he has and watch God do the rest. I think that's how we get blessed. I think that's how God works. And so sometimes I think we should leave this service asking ourselves, what is that one little thing that God's asking me to just start pulling up? I mean, I get the picture of the guy's on the floor and he's just trying to take his arms and the strength he has to push himself up. And all of a sudden he's realizing, I'm feeling stronger than I was before. Wait a second. And he's realizing the miracle as he's rising up. And once he's standing, he doesn't stop at that. He runs through the temple, leaping and praising God. And everybody, everybody gets to see this. And he gets the demonstration of the miracle in a very, very personal way. I think that's both satisfying to Peter and John. I think that's very satisfying to the man who has the miracle. And I think it's overwhelmingly satisfying to God. What a joy for the angels of heaven that rejoice over one sinner that's brought to repentance and a miracle that's going to flash the gospel like fireworks all over Jerusalem. Going to magnify it. And God wants to do the same thing in His disciples. Every one of us. I'm loving this thought. I'm loving the thought that you are all ministers of His. I'm loving the thought that Jesus Christ has you in His very special circle and He's called you just like any one of His disciples and you're a part of that work because He's redeemed you. So the third point is the purpose behind the ministry is to establish the church. In verse nine, verses 9-12, through 12, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places he might make known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. It says that it would be known among principalities and powers. I think that God's establishing his church both in the world and in hell. Not meaning that we're in hell, but I mean that... that the spiritual, the spirit world recognizes the church. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, and Bernice I know, and Dawn I know. That's the spirit world at work saying, I know you are Christ. I know that you have the authority of Jesus' name. And I believe that's the difference is the only, the only institution on earth that has an authority in spiritual matters is the church. The church. We're the only ones that can take the keys of the kingdom of heaven and have authority. Nobody else can. So we're known in hell, established in the spirit world. Jesus, here's a couple of the scriptures. I'm not giving you the actual verses at the moment, but you'll remember them. Jesus talking about the, to Peter, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
speaking of Jesus, came that he came to destroy the works of the devil. Those are just a couple places in the Bible that we hear we have a dominance over the spirit world if we are in Christ. And we are a true expression of God within the world. God wants the world to know of Him by us. How we behave. I watch men at work in the work sphere. And you know, the construction environment. And I hear all kinds of stuff. You can just imagine. It's, I, just, I think it's second to being on a, a boat with a bunch of sailors. But, you know, actually most of our guys are fairly clean in their language, to be honest. But you know why I think that's the case? I might be wrong. But I think the case is, is because somewhere God in his mercy put James on the scene. And James asked a few of those guys early on when he first started that, that job back in 2007. Guys, could you watch your language, please? And that started a roll of conversation from one man to the next man to the next man before I knew it. I was working with guys I'd never talked to about it before. And here all of a sudden, uh, one of them spouts up and says something. And then he, he quickly apologizes and looks at me and says, I'm sorry. I never even talked to him about it. Evidently, somebody else got that around. And even the boss would catch himself every now and then. And the radio would turn down. And things, just because I'm in the presence... And I'm establishing the presence of the church and the presence of Jesus by my being there. Because God wants His testimony through our individual lives. And how many of us don't really know? We'll never know until we get, we get on the other side what it is that truly you affected by being a real Christian, a real Christian in front of the world. We have to realize God is using you to demonstrate the likeness of Christ in the face of everybody you come in front of. Does that convict you? <laughs> Probably. Does that bother you? Certainly. But that also challenges you. And hopefully it changes us. And then lastly, the purpose of this calling is to magnify the headship of Christ over the church. Verses 13 through 21. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that the world, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church uh, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. What I notice about Paul is, is that basically when he talks about tribulation in verse 13, I'm just going to highlight a few things. There's a lot that I could. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. When he talks about tribulation, no matter where you find it in the Bible, there's this sense that this man has abandoned himself so much to the Lord that 
you would say this of the Apostle Paul, that he was willing to suffer anything because he loved Christ. I would suffer anything because I love him. And I think this is the way the Lord magnifies the headship of Christ in the church. Because nowhere else on earth, there is nowhere else on earth where you will meet people who are willing to face to their last breath, to the last uh, drip of blood in their body, would willing to suffer any shame, any suffering, any persecution for anyone or anything at that cost, except those that are truly Christ, that belong to him. And this is how we magnify the headship of Christ. There's no other way that we know of, because in Revelations he said, he said that you will uh, testify of me even unto death, but remain faithful. And I think the reason why this is because the reality from all of us who know the Lord, the reality is, is that my life does not belong to me and that my hopes and joys are not just built upon all the, the things that happen here. But in what is the purpose of what happens here? Now I give you the answer for the sufferings that happen in Christian lives. Because it's not the purpose in mind is to establish the authority and the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And I can never tell you that when I can tell you this, that anybody who I've known who suffered and remained faithful to the Lord has established the testimony of the worthiness of Christ like no other. Anybody I've met who suffered and remained faithful to the Lord has established the worthiness of Jesus Christ more than any other. You can be blessed. You can have the TV preacher's wealth. You can have the TV preacher's ministry. You can have all the glamour and the glitz of all of that. But the one who tells us that Jesus is worthy is the one who suffered and remained faithful. Now, I'm not to say that those who have established good, solid ministry and seeing God go forward and the Lord move, I'm not saying that doesn't have a declaration. It just doesn't have the same kind of declaration. And it means something. The martyrs and the history of the martyrs have meant something to the church throughout the ages. And it said something to the rest of us that Jesus is worthy. And I wonder if we can establish this in the calling of every individual Christian and in the ministry, your ministry personally, that Jesus is worthy. If they, they, if they mock me, if they laugh at me, if the world hates me, if what I stand for is rejected, He's worthy. I love Him. He gave Himself for me. Whatever I'm giving is far less than what He gave to me. When we establish that, there's, that's the basis, that's the foundation for the ministry going forward. Because if we don't establish that, then we got ministers like me standing behind here that feel so self-conscious about what we do that we can't go forward in ministry because we're afraid that somebody's going to be offended, somebody's going to be hurt, that we're going to do something that somebody's not going to like, whatever. And we can't go forward because of all of our self-consciousness. But if our consciousness and our, 
our sense of worth and value and importance has nothing to do with that, but everything to do with, Lord, you're the one I'm focusing on. You're the end in all of this whole thing. Then I have to put aside, I have to set aside all the struggles that I personally go through and say, Lord, I'm willing to step out and obey you even though I don't think I'm worthy. And he gets the glory. <laughs> he gets the glory. So worthy. I want to finish with that. And I want you guys to go home with that today. I just feel so encouraged that the Lord's just causing us to draw nearer to him. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you again for worship and the beauty and the spirit of it, Lord. Thank you for prayer because we love to be in where you're working, Lord. And I know that you are not just letting what is shared just be heard, but God, it's received. Like we drink in the word of God. Lord, Whatever the, however I've pronounced it or shared it, Lord, I just pray that the word, the scripture becomes very real to us this morning. Lord, first of all, I pray for your church. Lord, we're all ministers. We may be, have limitations in different degrees, but we're all called to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, I just pray that there will be a step of obedience to minister to somebody, whether it's today or throughout this week. But Lord, as you put a burden for the souls that we love on our hearts and refreshing that in our spirit, God, I believe that we're not going to hardly be able to stay off of the phone for the people we care for because of the love and urgency that we have for them. But Lord, ultimately the joy in seeing the life transformed. And maybe it takes a little bit, but Lord, we'd all be willing. And many of us have gardens which we sow plants into and seeds, and we see that come up, but it takes time. And Lord, let us be just as willing to take time, because in them, Lord, we see ourselves, somebody who needs that provision and that patience and that love and that influence. And Jesus, will you empower my brothers and sisters to be your hands and feet this week? Will you empower them in their homes you empower them, Lord, outside of their homes to this community. Jesus, this is the church. We are your church. And I love you, Lord, and how you demonstrate yourselves through obedience and through our willingness. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to give you guys the opportunity here to take time after the service to let the Lord Move your heart more. If I've preached beyond this service, then do it at home later on. But just take time with the Lord. Don't let the, the time and the anointing of his word pass if the Lord's motioning your heart to come forward and pray.